Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Men's Mental Health Show um, here on this beautiful, sunny Tuesday morning in uh, Katoomba. Uh, mm. It's the first time in a while I think I've been up in Katoomba. It's been, I don't know, it's at least 21. It's warm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's not blowing a gale. No, it's, no. It's, it's mental. It is. It's normally raining or windy, so uh, lovely day. And uh, we're brought to you, of course, by uh, all manufacturing uh, personnel, recruitment and labour hire company in the manufacturing industry, as well as Mounties Group uh, and uh, my friend Dale Hunt. Um, but um, first of all, like we do every week, we'll just kick off and say good morning uh, to you, Bodes. How's your week been? I know you've been been quite active after a call from you yesterday morning. You've had quite a weekend with some yeah. very... Uh, exhausting duties around the yard and badminton what went on mate uh, I was just saying to Christian um, that um, I'm sort of sitting in this uh, what am I going to do with the rest of my life you know I'm in mean, 73 I've got uh, in, uh, in a few days time um, I've still got an active mind um, an active body um, they all sort of wanting to. I guess what I'm saying is, I want to go deeper into something, and, and literature calls me, um, but philosophy calls me, and social pol- policy calls me. You know, um, so at, at, but I, I don't. I'm still looking for a way in which I can kind of drop into something that um, p- would please me greatly, uh, would would excite me, so that I'm fully engaged at all levels. Because I I love being. Um, switched on um, and in my life it's been characterised by um, great excitements about changes that are, uh, that um, have excited every fibre of my being mm, mm. and I've become fully committed to living you know fully mm. engaged and it's so exciting to get up and do some more reading or mm. thinking or, mm. act or protesting or and, and uh, you know it was, it, it was a funny thing I read a poem by a, um, a an Aboriginal woman who said my skin was too white, so I got the Aboriginal flag um, tattooed on my arm, and and the poem really read to people's response to that. Um, and one black fella said, "Oh, welcome to our country, sister." You know, yeah. and she, you know, uh, um, she needed to have a demonstrable sort of way in which yeah, her yeah. Aboriginality yeah. You know, was re- revealed to all. And mm. so I was sitting here there a couple of days ago thinking, Chill, I, I'm, I've, I've, I haven't had a tat, but an Aboriginal flag on my arm or some, mm. some place. So, yeah. yeah, I could rise to that. You know, that's my way of solidarity. Yeah. And then I thought, well, I come from Maastricht. I've never been there um, uh, right in the south of Holland. They have a flag. Maybe I'll get my indigenous flag from my, my white people and I'm carrying this I symbol. I know where this is going. Yeah. Well, tell me. Um, well, you, is it going to be a Kiwi one and an Aussie one as well? Because <laughs> you've spent Indonesia, yeah. mm. Netherlands, because you're a multi-heritage. Where Look, I was just thinking of uh, indigenous sourced um, because I think in, in, increasingly yeah. I'm really interested in um, indigenous perspectives and um, you know Nat, the Nats have said uh, in Australia today uh, we don't um, we're not going to support the voice or the referendum. Yeah, um, you know we're going to stand to one side. Mm. And I was thinking, um, so so what is my position? What's my understanding? 
Mm. Um, and why do I think the indigenous voice is so interesting? So I've prepared some notes um, that read to my poem as well, and um, you know we could have yeah. a bit of a bit of a look at that. Yeah, um, I think so. I think yeah. so. I think that's a great idea. And, Absolutely, um, it's, it's very sad what the Nats have, have said there. You know, like I was just what are they saying? I'm not up with that one. Yeah. Well, Little Proud has said that, um, uh, and flanked by Jacinda Price, um, who's an Aboriginal woman, um, have said that they don't think that the voice um, in the way that they understand it is the way to go to genuinely shift the narrative on um, Aboriginal issues. Mm. Um, and that they um, think it's uh, symbolic rather than meaningful in a practical sense. Yes, yeah. But what's really interesting is that a lot of um, uh, indigenous thinking, they actually say, don't direct effort at symptoms. Take a broader look at it from a cultural point of view. Mm. And I think this voice is symbolic, but what comes out of the symbolic right throughout history Mm. has been enormously important. And I think if we go too into a, too of a reductionist discussion about what the voice, um, you know, about delivery of sort of real change, um, I think we missed a point. We're just doing what we usually do, which is uh, looking at a bite, one part, um, and mm. and coming up with some, you know, strategies, if you like, mm. um, pour some money into that. We've, we've been doing that for a hundred years, and, yeah. uh, mm. uh, and it hasn't really made shifts, the symbolic um, um, and the vision, the broad sort of um, cultural movement together Mm. from a communal point of view, I think ultimately uh, generates more change that is sustaining than any other Mm. um, Mm. sort of effort of reductionism. So we've still got to remember that Johnny Howard sort of um, blitzed the Aboriginal communities, you know, uh, scarcely 10 years ago. Um, with the army and with the police force, you know, claiming that there was systemic uh, child abuse going on in those communities and that sort mm, of stuff, yeah. <coughs> it actually it absolutely decimated a lot of Aboriginal communities. Yeah. Increased the tension between Aboriginal women and men um, in some communities beyond almost disrepair, um, and, and it was an approach um, that was um, limited in its scope um, and its understanding. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, I think we've got to start challenging that thinking, um, not from a point of view of, of confrontation, but I I think that the genuine understanding of Western thought and the genuine understanding of Indigenous thought, we have to create a synthesis. I think what's been called for mm. is um, an idea of synthesis in which we stand together, informed by understandings that come from an Indigenous source and and. And white history, mm. um, and, and if we can't te- have that discussion, then mm. and, or, you know, conversation around that. Yes, then we are not going to move forward. And we're, you, we're not going to move of that in, in yeah. countries like America, you know, mm. yeah, in so many places. Yeah. So are we moving in that direction? To that, oh, I think we to are that already. Yeah. I think well, we are. Well, I, well, I would hope that um, that increasingly, um, oh, you know, that is our drift towards synthesis. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Thank you, Brian. That was uh, that was the phone. Oh. Yeah, no, great, great point. Maybe bring bring this up and and we'll, might go to Christian. Say good morning, Christian. Yeah, yeah. yeah good morning. How are you? Yeah, yeah good. Course. And yeah. how's your week been? And it's uh, been a week of work. I've uh, been on duty uh, on days off now. Hence, I'm here. 
Um, looking forward to uh, well spending some time in the garden. That'd be nice, especially with this weather. Um, looking forward to flying on Thursday. Hopefully the weather's good and I'll be out doing my pilot training out at mm. Orange, which has been an absolute joy in my life. Really looking forward to that. And what else has been going on? Oh, catching up with a few friends. Went to a baby shower uh, with a bunch of uh, our friends of uh, my wife. And, uh, yeah, did you been get clucky? Did you get uh, no, not at, all. <coughs> not at all. I did notice there are a lot of young couples there, all with babies. Uh, under the age of one and I thought oh these are all the COVID babies that have been born uh-huh. <laughs> through lockdown conceived in lockdown uh, and there was a lot <laughs> um, but uh, well you got to uh, fill in time somehow <laughs> yeah that's right not that's a lot right. of time for some of us but <laughs> so uh, yeah it's been uh, it's been a good week I had uh, a couple of busy night shifts yeah. um, we had uh, had some unfortunate jobs uh, some people died Mm. Uh, through natural causes, oh, mate. Um, yeah. but uh, that's that's life for you. That happens. Yeah. Um, <coughs> but uh, yeah, and we had uh, fireys help us out on a few of the jobs. Big shout out to the fireys who sometimes we're just under resourced as yeah as paramedics. Yeah. We haven't got enough. We're just so overwhelmed with work and particularly up here. I mean, I know up, it's across yeah, the board, but particularly up here. Up here, we've got really uh, two. Yeah, we've got uh, Katoomba, we've got Springwood, we've got Lithgow, and uh, Springwood's busy as they yeah. often are often uh, further down the hill yeah. and we need an instant set of hands we'll either get the police or the fireys to come yeah, and help yeah, okay. out and, and, they're, uh, okay, and they're, right. they're, they're actually really good so uh, we ended up doing CPR on this one patient and I had to direct the fireys uh, in our algorithms and what we do and how yeah. we go about that which is very particular um, and uh, they did an excellent job um, unfortunately the lady passed away uh, and uh, we ended up afterwards actually funnily enough it wasn't funny at all. The um, I, I gave them a debrief at the end of the job right. and uh, said, look, you've done well. Uh, it wasn't certainly through your lack of trying and your skills that this <coughs> lady passed away. It just, uh, we were too late. Yeah. And uh, there was too much time that she'd been in cardiac arrest by the time we, we got there. Um, and one of the fires was looking a bit stunned and a uh, younger bloke. Yeah. And I uh, sort of said to him, oh, is that the first time you've done CPR? I said, oh, no, I've done it once before. I said, well, you did an excellent job. Um, yeah. rest, rest assured you did a good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, that was, uh, that was my last night shift. Uh, that wasn't, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, that's why we're here. We're here yeah. to, uh, for those call-outs. Big, important jobs. That was yeah. an important job. Yeah, well, kudos uh, to you, mate. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of, you know, I, I, my, just as you are as a man, you know, let alone what you do for a crust, it's, uh, you yeah, know, I, mm. I don't know how you do it. It takes a, a special breed, but... Um, and, I, and Brad, how's your week been? Yeah, yeah. yeah how's your you know, week, I, I'm a bit uh, hoarse as I do sometimes if I've been talking too much. Surprised <laughs> I don't get it at the end of the show. I had a school reunion on on, oh, um, yeah. on Saturday night. Um, how many years since you've been? Uh, well, thirty years. Mm. <laughs> so it's a while. So yeah, thirty years, and it was lovely. You know, the great thing about going to a school reunion is you feel so popular. You mm. know, like this is pretty much the second time I've been out this year. I think. Um, but yeah, because you know everyone, you know. Mm. Or you do. Or these sometimes there's some faces you don't recognise, and then you go, "Oh my God, how did I not remember mm. you?" Mm. Uh, but it was lovely seeing everyone from Marta Maria College, Warriwood, uh, where I went down in the Northern Beaches there. And uh, yeah, we had a lovely night. You know, it was it was great and to, to to catch up and and have a chat. I, I even got up and made a fool of myself and had a sing. And, um, yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, it was wonderful. And uh, yeah, stayed at a friend's place down there and. 
And he had a pool table out the back and his uh, 19-year-old son. Mm. And he, his, I'll tell you, his son's mates and his son, they're funny boys. You know, these 19-year-olds, some of the humour that they use is, shit. Yeah, it's well ahead of what I was when I was their age. But uh, yeah, we had a bit of, bit of fun, played some pool and, you know, I wasn't short of hanging out the odd sledge and mm-hmm. you know, passing forward. And yeah, I would getting, imagine. Getting in the mind of them, <coughs> you know, a bit of gamesmanship. Yeah. And uh, hence the fact I don't think I lost a game of pool that night. It was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. But anyway, not eat a gloat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was wonderful. It was a great weekend. Yeah, very much so. A good time to catch up with yeah. uh, some, some old friends and yeah. see what people are up to. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, I was a bit concerned about one particular fellow, which I might talk about a bit later in the show. But um, yeah, it, it was nice. And of course, doing what we do here, I'm, I'm pretty open about things. So everybody's mm. across, you mm. know. I guess my journey over the last eight years so it was nice to see them coming forward and I had you know lovely conversations with three or four particularly that are having issues either with themselves their kids or their partners or husbands or wives and um, you know sort of pointed them in the right direction to tell them how important therapy is and yeah but it was good it was nice it was a nice evening thanks for asking we um when I went to school, we, we had a big chorals component, mass singing, mass choral singing mm, at my right. school, uh, the boys, Melbourne High School, still do it today. And uh, one of the, with, there were traditional songs that were always sung and have been and are still being sung at the school. Right. And one of those songs uh, is about um, boys on the parade ground, because uh, we have cadets. Yeah. Uh, and the song is called, I think it's called Follow Up. And it's about... Uh, being 40 years on thinking oh, back right. yeah, okay. <clears throat> thinking back to your school days 40 years on right. and uh, sort of the lyrics go uh, 20 and 30 and 40 years on okay. and I remember singing at the time as a 16, 17 year old oh, thinking right. oh my <laughs> god you know imagine, oh, imagine, imagine being 30 years on or yeah, 40 years yeah. on from school yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. How, how crazy is that well yeah. it's actually now yeah. literally 40 years on for yeah, me yeah. so um, wow. <laughs> You yeah. know, uh, the you school reunions a, are crazy yeah. like that. I mean, but school reunions would be tough because you went to school in in in, in, in Indonesia and then you went. No, no, no. I was I was eight, you we, in, eight weeks old when I came to New Zealand. Oh right. So, um, yeah. but my first foray into school, um, I spoke fluent Dutch and that, and very 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 little very, English. Very so yeah. I was I was literally um, I had no no language. So I had to sort of make that transition. Um, and it, it was yeah, it was a bit difficult. Um, and then I think back to my secondary school, and I couldn't figure out where I belonged. Did I belong with the intellectuals, the sporty guys, the the emojis, um, and the sort of um, uh, immigrant sort of kind of uh, a section of the school? Because there was a lot of Pacific Islanders as well as people from all over the world that had you know made. New Zealand at home, mm. so I don't know. I still don't know where I fit in um, uh, among that yeah. lot. So if I went to a reunion, I'd be going. Yeah, oh. hang on a second. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, um, I, there's, there's one guy I really would love to see. He became ducks of the college, and I sat next to him um, in uh, fifth form. Um, and, I, and I think that's probably when I started to recognise that I had a mind, and I, I should start using it. <laughs> but, but you so, know something that we've not mentioned because could you still? Speak a bit of Dutch. Well, I understand um, Dutch. I'm beginning to think I need to pick up more language. I'll probably be 
um, understand French better than I understand Dutch. So, wow. I, ne- so I need to, yeah, because I took Latin and French as part of... Uh, and and Maori. Uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a certain capacity for me to hear language yeah, and to yeah, be able to yeah, absorb yeah. it. Um, sort yeah. Of fairly, yeah, I'm fairly, fascinated by language too. Fairly, yeah, fairly easily. Yeah. So, not, yeah. as, not as advanced as you, of course, but no. I, I love it. I'm, you know, when I, I've done most of my travelling in countries that are non-English speaking nations, I'm okay. fascinated by it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. get the book and study it and much as I can. Yeah. Um, you know, get some words under your belt. Stat- yeah, well, uh, Turkish is very difficult because, you know, Ooh. I think just to say thank you is like nine syllables. Um, uh, you know, and in Greek and, um, and, mm. and some some countries you just learn the bad words. But, you know, I, I, sure. I love Thai, I, I, you know, and speaking a bit of French and mm. yeah, mm. a little bit, not much, but mm. yeah. All right. Well, um, we, we had a, a discussion last night. I thought we might kick off actually with your poem, if you're all right with that. Yeah, because yeah. Because yeah. it's probably going to be the centre around a, the, the discussion today. So why don't you just kick straight into it, Baster? This is... Um a poem I wrote on Saturday just gone um, but it's a poem that's been kicking around in my head for about two months I guess and I was thinking about the breath I was thinking about the universality of breath um, and I was thinking about indigenous understanding of breath creation understanding of breath um, and situations we find ourselves in um, with the breath and you know, you know it's something that we don't even think about doing, we just do it because it's part of the autonomic uh, system in our bodies that uh, propels us to keep the inhale and the exhale. I always figure that if we had to think about it, um, most of us are killed over in the first half hour of life. You know? <laughs> um, so the, the function of the autonomic um, yeah. nervous system is a very interesting because yeah, uh, it regulates blood pressure and uh, heart rate and as well as breathing and that sort of stuff. So it's a very, it's an interesting phenomenon. Anyway, here's the poem, um, and I can talk to parts of it later on. She slipped out the warm bellows of her mother's womb, released from within to light and air. No inhale or cry disturbed, just lay there, stilled by the effort. That liminal space seemingly indifferent to the breath, Somebody wants to come in? No. A gush of interventions coughed up her first act for a life of respiration. His breath laboured every attempt to respire summoned effort from deep within. The seam of life force run its course. We, attending on an ending, witnessing his muscle memory, loath to call it a day. The pulse at his neck and elbow, a remnant of his glory days when rude health and desire arose like a fountain. The aquifer now emptied, a bladder of dried skin. Reminds us all of our return to the dirt and ashes of Dante's poem of reckoning. The rapid breath of a rising panic, a limbic meltdown, no malady or space. A rising distress, notes of discord and disharmony. Breath unchained in this way, reactive to thought and feeling and frenzied helter-skelter. A frightening Damocles sword trembling above our aching heads. A return from storming waters 
to a soothing zephyr, a return to rhyme and rhythm, the metronome of one's own faithful heart. Breath in the presence of desire, passion in the throes of disrobe, two souls seeking a tumescence, the diamonds at the meeting of her thighs, the audible inhale upon entry, a mouthful of kisses in a tumult of breaths, the rock and roll of an embrace, a slow return to a regular rise and fall upon satiation and satisfaction. The rugged, the ragged inhale when loss and grief crashes our attention, the physicality of agony, weeps snot and tears, sobs amidst a constricted throat threaten a collapse, completely and utterly alone in a body that has lost a loved one, or a betrayal, exposing the bones of a cherished certainty now whitening on the sands of time past. To respire is to breathe without thought or memory. We cannot not rise and fall. Sentience departs on cessation. To he maori ora, a creation story, the first gasp for living. We watched our third born in the beginning time, willing her breath to keep its promise. Reminded that breathing has no need of our intention, it commits of its own accord. Pretty, pretty that, uh, that just about sums up everything, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly sums up my career. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering about that. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, very. Yeah. I can uh, associate that yeah, with a that. Quote, on, a, a quote in Maori too, I noticed. On many levels, yeah, yeah. many levels. I think it's universal. Yeah, I mean, we take the breath for granted, um, but we also don't pay attention enough to the breath of of each other. You know what I mean? We um, um, and I think there's so much data, so much information, as I was trying to actually show in in um, in my poem um, that that the breath is always making statements, is always telling us something mm. about the other, about mm. ourselves and the other. Mm. And so it's a kind of source of relational in- information that we can actually pay much more attention to. Extremely powerful, isn't it? You know. Yeah, you, absolutely. You think about it. You think. I mean, obviously the mind, but the breath and, and what it can do. Um, you know, both positive and negative, uh, particularly under situations of panic or mm. it, of thought. Yes. Um, you know, um, mm. and, and the way it can lead us to. You know, I mean, for those that have had panic attacks, I've, I've had a few. Of, you know. I've had, had quite a bad one up at Central Coast and, and on a Thai Airways flight one stage. Um, quite embarrassing, but, um, you know, it, yeah. it, it comes but down it's there. to... Yeah, you know, yeah, and then yeah. just how powerful it can be to, to calm a situation as well. Like well, that. I was thinking of your box breath yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. example, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, which is to help someone to recover a, mm. uh, um, a, a, a physiological sense of him. I'm here, and to slow down the yeah. onrush of thought or feeling or threat, whatever has been the trigger, mm. um, and to be able to switch on all the faculties of perspective, if you like, mm. um, to, uh, to, to come out of that uh, enormously anxious state mm. that when it floods you, mm. um, uh, people have told me, it, I thought I was dying. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 100%. So, 
Mm. I'm sure you've been told well, that we, a lot too. Yeah, well, you can read a lot about what's going on with a person by looking at their breathing. And uh, well, I do it as a, um, I mean, I do it. It's we one have of to do many it observations. It's one of our observations that we yeah. have to do. Mm. But mm. You, uh, and that's just in, also in daily life yeah. as well. You can see when a person is relaxed or when they're anxious yeah. uh, through their, their breathing. And the breathing is also then linked to their posture. You know, the sort of the posture of somebody who is hunched over mm. Uh, mm. compared to a person who has their chest out and proud or somebody who is working hard in what we call the tripod position where they've got their uh, elbows on their knees. Oh, um, is that called a tripod? Uh, yeah, okay. called tripod position. Uh, even to the point where... Um, what the, the position of the, the chin. So yeah. somebody yeah. who is with their head tilted back slightly in what we call the sniffing position yeah. uh, is working hard, working harder than somebody who has their chin down, which yeah. closes the airway. So when we, uh, when we approach a person or when we're in a scene and we come in and we're often called to people who are short of breath as one of their primary uh, chief complaints. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in part that's because one of the triage questions that gets asked in the triple O when you call triple O is um, is the person breathing normally and uh, they can say either yes or no and if it comes down as no they're not breathing normally uh, then it gets prioritised as breathing difficulties often and often that's not the cause of the issue anyway but when we approach a patient we look in the, when I walk in the room one of the first things I look at is the work of breathing we call it the work of breathing and uh, that will tell me a lot about what is going on immediately. Yeah. And that gives me what I, would call, what I call the gestalt view of the patient. Mm. So uh, without even laying my hands on them, I can just look at them. Mm. And uh, I can, I'll ask them a question, I'll introduce myself and say, uh, how are you feeling, what, why are we here today? And immediately they'll either be able to talk or they won't. And that will speak volumes. Mm. So if they're speaking in full sentences... Uh, and talking comfortably, I can immediately begin to tick off breathing difficulties as an issue that may not be present. Yeah. yeah. Uh, however, if they're speaking in single words uh, or shortened phrases, I know straight away mm. they're, wor they're working. And I look at the way they're postured. Um, I'll look at things like are they, if they've got nasal flaring. I'll look at uh, mm. um, things like uh, you know where, where the chest is heaving, are they working their back and so on. And that's just the start of it. And then we can go into more sort of detailed examinations beyond it's that. It's phenomenal. But mm. uh, it tells mm. immediately from a medical perspective, it tells me a lot, but also about their psychological condition as well. Uh, somebody mental who's health. Yeah, mental health. health. Somebody um, who is uh, comfortable, somebody who is relaxed. They're not focusing on their breathing compared to somebody who is anxious or concerned or depressed or that all affects your breathing as well because mm. um, you know. it, 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 it's fascinating Christian and, and Baxter it, it is it's fascinating for me and, 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 hear, and I'm learning so much as I do every week when I'm, I sit opposite you two but there are so many you know aspects of the breath as, and, and what I can tell you um, you know but there are so many terrific things that come from um, um, the positive side of things with the breath. Now, if we talk about the mental health side of things, yeah. obviously when someone's in panic, let's say, yeah. for example, yeah. their breathing is it's shorter but faster, isn't it? Yeah, ragged or you might, you know, shallow, rapid. What's their heart doing? Is it heart doing the same thing as the breath or is it different? It, Not it can be. Look, at, they, they tend to work in conjunction with each other too. If you, if you intentionally hyperventilate, yeah. Uh, um, now, a panic attack, and we described, you were mentioning panic attacks earlier, 
and we see a lot of that. And yeah. and people genuinely feel like they're, they're going to they're, they're yeah. die. Yeah. Mm. And uh, when you hyperventilate, which is a rapid short breathing for a prolonged period of time, what's happening is you're blowing off your carbon dioxide. And this is a delicate balance. People think that your uh, autonomic breathing, the breathing associated with relaxation and so forth, is associated with lack of oxygen. Okay, we breathe, we inhale, we exhale because we need oxygen. That's not the case at all. That's that's a a very much a secondary drive. The reason we inhale, exhale is because we have a buildup of carbon dioxide in our systems. And that's part of what we call cellular respiration. It's the byproduct of cells working. The byproduct of that is uh, an acid, lactic acid, and we blow that off as carbon dioxide. And we're very tightly attuned to this in our bodies. Um, so when we're working hard, when we're exercising, the reason why we breathe hard is because our body is producing excessive amounts of acid and we need to expel that as carbon dioxide to balance the base acid balance right in our bloodstream yeah okay so uh so when somebody is hyperventilating they are breathing off and they you know if, if for example they're in a panic state they're breathing off their carbon dioxide and what that does is it causes a number of physical symptoms which then create a positive feedback loop and that is a a panic state you increase your anxiety people develop chest pain uh, numbness in the face, uh, hands and feet, uh, clawing of the hands as well, where the hands cramp up, what we call a carpal spasm. So hands cramp, arms cramp, feet can cramp, chest pains, and rapid heart rate. Wow. Yeah. And then, of course, as soon as you start to feel any of that stuff, yeah, begin yeah. to you panic even harder. Yeah, that's right. And it makes you it, panic harder, it, it makes it worse. It gets worse and worse. It gets worse and worse and worse. So uh, we see this a lot and it can, it's often precipitated by an emotional event um, or it can come on sometimes spontaneously depending on what's well, going what's on, in your life, especially yeah, if yeah. there's a lot of stress going yeah, on. Yeah, 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 or yeah. you ruminate and go around You're and You're thinking about something and next thing you suddenly there, find yeah. yourself breathing harder and deeper and oh, what's that yeah. strange sensation? I don't feel right, I feel a bit dizzy. Mm-hmm. I've got a yeah. pain in my chest. Oh my God, am I having a heart attack? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then it goes on from there. And the key to controlling that is very much being focusing on your breathing, slowing your breathing slowing right down. down. Mm. Um, sometimes I'll do, try to do things like get a person to drink a glass of water. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll close their lips and breathe through the nose. It's very hard to hyperventilate when you're breathing through your nose. It needs to be open mouth for ah. it to be. Oh, Probably to be really profound. It's a men's mental health show with guest today is Dr. Carl Krizelneski. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, sorry, paramedic Christian Mortensen. <laughs> so, um, and then off, what we'll do is sometimes we just need to take a person from that space, wherever they are situated, yeah. and then move them from there, put them in the ambulance, take them to hospital. And by the time we've removed them from that, people just, they tend to calm down. Yeah, just right. like, yeah. they, they disassociate. So there's some the things that we can learn at home if we have someone that often does something like that. I mean, a lot of the time I see people say, oh, you've got to get a brown paper bag or a paper bag and shorten. You, know, you can do that as well. You can re-breathe. Even even wearing a, a COVID mask will will help because you're oh, really? re-breathing some of your carbon dioxide. So back, yeah. But um, I mean, they're 
they are porous, so not not same as a paper bag. But yeah, that was an old school uh, methodology. Mm-hmm. Put a paper bag yeah. over, but you've got to really you don't want to suffocate them, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's got to be really you want it to be loose around the face because right. you've got to be able you've to have you've got to be able oxygen. to get oxygen in. Yeah, yeah, but it can be also you know people can hyperventilate to the point where they actually pass, pass out, out. Yeah, and that. stop breathing. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. and then what will happen is um, then the carbon dioxide will build up. Yeah. And then they'll start spontaneously breathing, breathing again. again. But yeah. of course, you don't know that until you've actually, you know, until they actually start breathing yeah. again. So yeah, in, yeah, in the yeah, short yeah. term, it's like, oh, well, they've passed out, they've stopped breathing. <laughs> you're, you're treating it like it's a cardiac arrest, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, so you start pumping you, their chest. You, you'll be wanting to call triple O by yeah. the time, you know, that, yeah, that occurs. So it just and all of a sudden, you've saved their life. And, yeah, you know. all of a sudden, they're, they're good again. Yeah, um, fascinating. Yeah, That's so look, there's a lot to be... There's a lot to be examined in terms of the breathing. Well, I think the average Joe is just in the last 10 minutes between the pair of you both learned so much, you know. Mm. But this, this, uh, yeah, yeah. What about you both? Look, when you, I, I guess, you pay, is, do you pay attention a lot to that? I know my psychiatrist does. Like when I, I sit in front of uh, Dr. Manenbracket, he's constantly looking at my chest, my hands, my movements, my legs, twitches and... He's always examining everything. But as a psychotherapist, is that something that you pay a lot of attention to, the, the breath or the body language of, of what somebody's saying sure. outside of facial features, say? Sure. I mean, I, you even pay attention to the tension in the voice. Right. Um, okay. So if there's a rising note of annoyance or frustration or... Um, uh, Excitement that uh, doesn't merit the discussion underhand. Yeah. Um, the the, um, the rising intensity of volume um, is a giveaway. Yeah. Um, the uh, the movement of the feet, you know, the sort of uh, a lot of guys constantly the heels going up and down. Yeah, you know yeah I mean? that's got right. A, yeah. Got a bit of a tattoo going on, <laughs> and you know, there's some sort of agitation. There's thoughts that are sort of hammering yeah. around that may actually lead to trauma. Uh, childhood trauma or or, um, tri- or, or other factors yeah um, or, or a, a difficulty sort of staying with the conversation yeah. um, and so they uh, yeah, the, the yeah. stemming the stimming yeah. um, which is sort of like a, a, a an attempt at calming self-calming mm. uh, the autistic people particularly use different mannerisms or shuffling or something just sure, to, yeah, yeah. to stimulate themselves yeah, coping, um, yeah. to be in the experience they're having in that right. moment so that's really interesting um, sure, and, and I think the breath. Um, I've, I've be, I'm becoming more and more interested in it. But I was, I was reading, doing some reading work, and um, there was this beautiful story of the Blackfoot people in North American, uh, North American Indian uh, tribe, and um, Abraham Maslow, who developed a hierarchy of needs, um, spent a summer with them, and they had a similar um, understanding. They but they used the teepee. Um, as the triangle um, and they had um, what, what was really interesting is the three foundations to their triangle or their, to their hierarchy of needs was individual actualization was the basis of the pyramid in the middle was community actualization and at the top was cultural perpetuity wow whereas uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs was about food, water, shelter, Shelter, then um, family group, um, then self-esteem, and then rising up to actualization. And at the point of his pyramid was transcendence. 
Um, now that's been a well-used model, it's still applicable, but what's really interesting is that the two models um, can stand alongside each other, right. and it, we were talking about synthesis um, in our discussion yeah, before, yeah, 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 and I just think the Blackfoot uh, Triangle is so interesting, and I'll, I'll quote some words from um, one of the writers, and he said that um, for us, uh, cultural perpetuity, we call it the breath of life. And we, we can hold our breath and the people stop. Or we can nourish the breath. You can breathe in deeper the knowledge of others. Understand it at a deep level. And then breathe it forward. That's the breath of life. Now, within that, to me, there's a remarkable statement of political activism and intent and love for the people. And I love yeah. that idea of cultural perpetuity. Mm. I love the Sioux idea of um, any decisions you take, um, think 10 generations ahead in terms of the consequences of your decision. And so it's like a matrix which holds something about responsibility towards oneself, mm. but also towards your community. Um, and towards a world view, which what cultural perpetuity is. It's a world view that ultimately um, is about depth. Now, I'm working with a gentleman who's done uh, uh, okay for himself in business, so all his basic needs of shelter, food, income uh, are well protected. And at his age of 65, he's starting to actually look for a deeper dimension to his life. Um, and now I would say that in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he's looking at actualization and transcendence um, okay. and spirituality. You know, um, and he wants to do some good now because of his pile of money um, to um, assist other people. Um, but what's interesting is that um, the, the black people, foot people say, um, we measure wealth in what you give, not in what you hold. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's, that's a, so it's not so what's in your bank balance. No, that's or, right. Or, or yeah, your, that's that's uh, what I've, I've learned in life in the last you know, eight yeah. years particularly. It's what so you can give, it's not what you, you can you're, get. You're, what you your wealth is in what you give. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you might give money as part of it. You give time. All those sorts of variables are, are equally of sort of merit and value. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just love that notion of what, what it is that you give yeah. as a measurement of wealth rather than what you have in your account. So it's a whole inverse mm. of mm. Um, a, a Western sort of understanding. Mm. And I think that's why we uh, need to uh, step more closely to our indigenous sisters and brothers yeah. um, because the, the, the inversion has merit and value for so us. Much, so, much, so much there for us to, yeah, yeah. to, to take in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, you know, it's a discussion I had with many people at the school reunion um, the other night, I'll get you to come in just a sec, Christian. But you know, and I thought it's, and you see, it, we, I think we spoke about it last week. My memory sometimes is shot. You know, with a lot of men in particular, when you see them, they talk about their successes and how much that money they're making, or how many homes they got, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. If you get behind that ego, you get to learn a lot more about a person yeah. and what they've got to give. Yeah, uh, and that's even by way of just listening. Mm. You got to chip in there, mate. What's um, well, one of the great privileges of my work is, is the giving component. Yeah. And it really um, adds a lot of value uh, to my life. Um, and 
it's a it's a it's a great responsibility and also a great honour to be able to put in a position where you can be be giving to people uh, and assisting them, and it's you know, it's very very rewarding. And um, I say to uh, people who are in the back of my ambulance, perhaps people uh, with mental health issues uh, who might be um, suicidal or depressed and the like, and are usually you know apart from asking them you know whether they you know are they suicidal etc one of the things i like to ask them about is um what are they uh what what are they doing outside of themselves for other people either their family or uh, other you know people who are less fortunate would they consider uh adopting a role could they get themselves through this this episode and bring themselves to a point where they could be giving something to other people because it's very rewarding and affirming uh, in a healing of the self. Yeah. But also, uh, it's good to step outside your own story mm. and mm-hmm. and participate Absolutely. in other people's <clears throat> stories uh, and to give them either advice or a helping hand or you know whatever in whatever capacity it is that you can provide. And I think we we certainly appreciate that in Australia mm. uh, and universally mm. as well. Uh, we laud the people who, and applaud the people who uh, give to others. You know, communities that help each other and are put in uh, are in a state of crisis where everyone chips in and lends a hand. You know, we uh, we absolutely love that and uh, applaud it. And there's a lot. Yeah. To be, there's a lot to be said for it. Absolutely. Um, mm. As to whether, yeah. So anyway, that's yeah, that's my mm. take on on that. Mm. Um, Tell you what, we um. Scooting through this hour, I might just have we might just have a quick break. Men's Mental Health Show, we're back. I thought that was a commercial there for a minute. Um, <laughs> get a little bit lost in my way sometimes. I'm still crazy, you know. Um, we're talking about the, the the breath today and some some fascinating you know conversations here around um, you know breathing and, and culture, which 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 gets me is we I guess just talk about culture because. So many cultures, um, particularly, you know, around the Tibetan cultures and the Buddhism cultures where breathing is such a crucial part of their religion and culture. Mm. Um, and so many people, it's amazing, you know, Bodhi, you say this the chap that you've, you've got, you're seeing at the moment, has come to a stage in his life where he's been so successful and has all this money, he wants to now, you know, feel fulfilled by, by parting with some of that and, and giving it. Um, and I think a lot of that's got to be said for, for, for some of these, you know, terrific cultures. I, I find our own culture here, the Aboriginal culture, is um, a lot about giving, a lot about welcoming, a lot about, you know, community, mm. isn't mm. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no. breath. Mm. Um, absolutely. Um, look, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just, uh, I think the breath, um, I, lo- I love that meditation um, where um, it's a Zen meditation from Japan, um, I think it's called the Soto uh, Zen uh, School. And um, they say, look, uh, you, you don't need to have a word or a saying as part of your meditation anchoring. Um, just be in your meditation. And they say, um, and observe the rise of thought. Um, and uh, don't try and fight, fight it. Um, it is what it is. Um, it always will be. Um, have practiced some discrimination about what um, about the rising of of um, content in your mind, um, and and that's your meditation. 
just by paying attention, observing the rise and fall, without actually any intervention. That's your work. And, I, and you know, I've always actually strived to have no thoughts arising um, and been baffled by the constant sort of um, a rising funnel of sort of kind of thoughts and suddenly I've, I'm writing a list in my paper, you know, I better do this and I better do that. <laughs> what was I talking about, uh, thinking about before? Yeah, 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 ex- exactly. Or, or I'm surprisingly, I'm having... Um, inspired rebuttals to an argument I had with someone you know a week ago yeah. um, in the midst of my meditation I think I'm, I'm failing but I, I just I, you know the meditation assists in breath regulation too and I think we have an understanding or an appreciation of this incredible body that we do have yeah. um, you, you know the, the National Indian Child Welfare Association have developed a, a circle in a, in a four-way quadrant and they talk about the body, they talk about biochemistry, health status, sleep um, and rest um, practices that a person has got, community has got. They talk about substance abuse, but the body is part of the quadrant of sort of kind of wholeness mm. and wellness. Mm. And, I've, and I've, you know, mind, body um, uh, uh, is also a consideration mm. of mental health because mm. it's not only the, the mind, but it's also the body that, was, it, that influences. And, um, and everything is actually... Uh, in unison or, or um, if, yes. if something's out of balance then the whole system can actually become distorted or um, if I'm walking with a sore back um, I start to stand in a different way to minimise yeah. the sort of sore, sore area in my back but I'm walking all wobbly you know and then I'm yeah, putting yeah. more pressure, pressure on certain on other parts of, yeah, yeah yeah all that sort of stuff so f- looking for balance um, and that's one of the um, uh, the um, model of let's look at balance Let's keep looking at something which is out of focus and see if we can bring it back um, into relationship with all the other parts. And, I, and, I, and um, that intuitively uh, uh, gives me a, a, an anchoring um, right. to think about balance. Um, you know, I love that they talk about the spirit as part of the quadrant. So mm. I've just talked about the body, now the spirit. They talk about... So what is the innate positive that a community might have or a, an individual has? What is the learned positive? So what's innate? Um, what's a trait that's been passed on from you know, generation to generation? And what is, the, uh, what is learned? learned? Yeah. And then there's the innate negative. And what is the learned negative? Um, that might come from experience that has caused us to become more cautious about something or to break away from um, pa- uh, communal connection because yeah. something's happened. Yeah. I just, I mean, these are valuable things to think about yeah. in terms of, of mental health and mental wellness. Mm. Um, they talk about context. Well, we all come out of context. Mm. I think what a powerful sort of quadrant to actually sit in, mm. to consider. You know, and they talk about culture, they talk about um, social history as part of our context. Um, they talk about school, they talk about family, they talk about community, so what is your context um, as part of sort of mental wellness. And then they look at the mind, so what is your knowledge? How do you think? What do you think? Self-esteem. Um, what are your memories and what are your emotions? And then let's treat the person holistically across those that four quadrants mm. in terms of treatment. Um, and then they start to talk about, well, what would happen if we started to think from a relational point of view mm. about everything that exists in our world? Mm. What might we begin to say 
maybe that part of existence as we've put it together mm. isn't relational. Yeah. It actually is oppositional or it's actually destructive. Mm. Um, so we need to pay some attention to that aspect of the way that we believe that we should be living. Yeah. But what, ha- what has it, what is it that has shaped our idea that that is an important aspect of living? Yeah. Let's look at the sources of that um, um, heightened um, development, um, and, but is it good, does it have a common good? So, so we could look at sort of the armament in- industry for at, at some level and mm-hmm. to say, um, you know, is that serving the common good of, of the well-being of humanity? Yeah. And, and you can construct a pretty good argument to say that mm-hmm. the armaments um, industry um, is largely in pursuit of profit and power and control. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? So, uh, so I think yeah. what's kind of interesting is it gives us an opportunity so that... NICWA, or the National Indian Child Welfare Association, and they are interested in indigenous child welfare. They say, let's have a fluid, cyclical view of time. So the past and the present and the future are right. all part of the consideration. Okay. Let's look at every aspect of life as related. It's interconnected. Mm. And so let's make sure that we, uh, and that whatever interventions we apply... Um, uh, take a take a bigger view. So, if a person's suffering um, a panic attack, um, but um, they're also homeless, if mm. the panic attack is treated but not their homelessness, you, um, you know, mm. it's a it's a partial treatment. Yeah, yeah? it's a band aid, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, let's let's look at services aimed to restore balance. Mm. Now, what an extraordinary sort of idea. Um, now, I've never really thought about balance. You know, I mean, I. Um, I, um, I it's a new thing for me to, to think about a balanced viewpoint. But a balanced viewpoint always implies some sort of synthesis, some sort of b- ability to bring differences powerfully into a con- an interconnection and that we can talk to all those parts um, as part of developing a response. Mm. So, you know, to me it's a really important idea. Um, the... They say interventions may not be directed at symptoms. Well, I think for an AMBO, that's a bit of a difficult one. Mm. Um, but th- there is an understanding, isn't it, that if, if our services are only for the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, because people are keep falling off the cliff, mm. um, then yeah. um, as a symptom response, um, it... it, it it's not enough, if not. you like, to actually sort of bring no, things I mean, we are, into balance. Yeah. We are specifically designed to treat the yeah. uh, the yeah. end stage of yeah. things, yeah. as opposed to um, we're not there to be the preventative. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, that's another component. But these things that we can each do to be, to be the preventative in many cases mm. is what, what I'm picking mm. up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of well, course. just to even consider these these aspects, would mm. I be right in saying that? Um, uh, this, this is a lot of this what you're describing and this this reflection and this understanding comes with age, um, and, uh, that uh, as we age we become more and more aware and cognizant of the fact that uh, we reflect on our past experiences, uh, our mistakes, our successes. Uh, sure. We look at our peers. We go to things like our school reunions. Yeah. People tell their stories, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we reflect. Yeah, uh, and in reflection, we have a uh, we we can assemble these ideas, and it's the gaining of wisdom, really. Yeah. You know, absolutely, it's a, digest, it's a digestive yeah. Um, yeah. of experience, yeah. um, and we are, uh, 
um, to an extent, ab absented ourselves from reflective practice. Now, it's not just exclusively an older person's sort of preoccupation. Um, uh, I think it is an all-of-life um, opportunity to reflect on experience. But you're absolutely right. Um, um, the insight that derives from reflective practice, um, in fact, is a balancing, a restoration of balance because it gives you a perspective to understand something. Um, and so you avoid that uh, awful place of continually repeating um, complications in one's life yeah. because there's been no reflective mm. practice to mm. actually be able to step back from uh, the uh, disintegrations and to make sense of that. Um, so I, um, I'm excited by the idea. See, what, what Indigenous, if you look at the material that's accessible nowadays, Indigenous people have been doing a lot of work um, uh, bringing their worldview um, into consciousness that us Westerners can begin to understand and appreciate its depth. Mm. And, and, and that's why I think that um, you know, the, the idea of the voice in Australia um, is such a powerful opportunity for um, uh, a deep respect for Indigenous practice in Australia mm. Um, to genuinely bring um, an, a, a, a powerful dimension that becomes truly an Australian shared story. Yeah. Mm. And um, I know in our acknowledgement of country, uh, where we pay uh, respects to elders past and present. Yeah. And I get what we're paying respects to there, apart from the Indigenous connection to land, is, uh, is the wisdom mm -hmm. that the mm -hmm. elders provide mm -hmm. for us. Um, and that is through that, as you mentioned, that reflective practice that uh, uh, as we age, we, have a, we develop a wealth of experience mm. and mm. we can impart wisdom. Uh, it's like parents imparting wisdoms to their children. Mm. Uh, we try to guide them and because they really, uh, as a child, you're living in the moment. You don't really have much of a database to fall back on in terms of your personal experience. Uh, and so uh, our parents are there to guide us through life and provide us with the wisdoms that we need to set us up for success. Um, but this uh, transference of, of wisdom in, from Indigenous cultures where uh, an oral history or history uh, through story and myth, legend and personal experience uh, is, is valuable... Mm. I, I, I guess, you know, it, it can help guide us in a, in a spiritual sense and uh, uh, to uh, being you know, more connected, more balanced, etc. Mm -hmm. um, we were talking earlier, Bodhi, you mm -hmm. mentioned that um, you've been doing some work in, in palliative care. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, you mentioned something there about people, the transference of wisdom there, that the sort of the, yes. the, the older or the, 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 yeah, the dying patient. Uh, just for those who don't know, just, just go back to that. How, how long have you been doing it for? And, well, I've been and what got you into it, first of all? Sorry, well, Christian, gee, I beg your pardon. What, what got me into it? Well, um, that's an interesting question. It was, um, it was my first experience of a person who was dying uh, was in the hospital. And the girl that I was with at the time um, wanted to see her uncle. And, um, you know, he was emaciated and, you know, at the, end, and, uh, at the point of dying. Um, and he was so pleased to see me. But I was freaked out um, at his emaciation and the proximity of death. And I, and I, thought, I didn't want to be there, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so my mind was whirling with 
oh my god I can't believe this uh, that I'm even sitting here in front of this uh, mm. person that's dying and I'm, freak- I'm freaking out I can't stand this mm. um, but I also shook his hand and you know tried to sort of be there at some level but my mind was whirling so that was a really interesting experience that I actually didn't I knew nothing about um, the reality of death and then um, in my um, late 30s um, I I became friends with a guy who had mesothelioma and um, he'd been told he had six months to live. And that's a particularly difficult uh, lung condition that comes from asbestos um, um, that uh, becomes cancer within the lung. Um, and um, and so he, you know, he was in his dying time. Um, but I had six months with him and, I, you know, once a week at least I would reflect with him. And towards, towards the end, um, he... Um, He's, he rang me up one day and he said, <clears throat> Bodie, bring your diary because uh, I want to uh, figure out the day I die. And I, and I, and I said, it's not gonna. man, I can't, I, can't, I can't do that. You can't ask me for uh, that, you know what I mean? Um, he said, no, man, I, I need you to come over. I need you to come yeah, over yeah, yeah. And, uh, with me. And so I went over there and again, my mind was the world. But he, what he came to is, I want to die on the second day of spring because that's when the pear blossom in my backyard oh, that, explodes yes. into life yeah, and, I, and, I, and I couldn't argue with that I thought yeah. that was the most amazing thing to be able to to approach his death and one of the things that he um, came to he was an accountant by trade but one of the things he came to um, in his reading um, what an amazing journey that he had had in his living and that while he wasn't necessarily ready to die um, he was going to be there when he died mm. and so the last night of his life I was lying alongside him holding his hand and the last thing he said to me was I'll never forget this he said well Bodes where I'm going I won't need to worry about taxes <laughs> <laughs> may you have that have that humour <laughs> that moment in life <laughs> so true <laughs> so true <laughs> because you both do, I mean, you've been involved in palliative care yeah, as well. Yeah, so and Sorry, I'll come back to you again, Bodes. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the pair of you have been doing that. So what, what got you? Oh, well, I, I mean, it's, it's through work. So um, we have palliative care pathways that we work. Uh, so yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll often get called to families who are caring for patients at home, uh, yeah. family members at home who are, who are dying. Right. And uh, they, the, the family needs assistance and reassurance that they're doing the right thing, that yeah, yeah. everything is going as it should be. Um, is there anything that, should, that they're not doing uh, that could be done? And we are there to help them, to yeah. help the patient. So uh, they're very rewarding jobs in the sense that oh, people are eternally, are immensely grateful yeah, to, to yeah. receive that assistance because the patient's die, wishes to die in their at their home, at their home yeah. with yep. their family, surrounded yep. by people who are meaningful to them, as opposed to in the emergency department, which is impersonal and yeah. busy and uncomfortable and harsh fluoro lighting and noisy and and not not very comfortable yeah. at all. And uh, they want to be surrounded by the people who love them. And uh, so we go and we are there to make to ease their passing mm. as best we can. Mm. And uh, that sometimes in, involves with um, adjusting drug doses or mm. just uh, finding if there's something that can be reversible. You know, if they're, for example, if, they're, if they can't void urine and we can put a catheter in yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, make yeah. them feel a little bit more comfortable and yeah, do that yeah. sort of thing, just to make things more comfortable for them and, mm. and the like. And, 
And I've been, some of the best jobs I've been to have been uh, palliative care jobs. I did a job years ago where we went to a, a man in his, I would say he was in his 70s, he'd just been given a, uh, the notice by his doctor that he was dying from heart failure and that he would probably only survive another couple of months. Uh, he had come home, uh, his family had gathered around him that night and then with, before anything could be put into place, he started to die. And the family had called us. They were all gathered there. Um, and there he was sort of on the bed, struggling to breathe. Uh, the family had been given some medication but didn't really know how to utilise it and so on and so forth. And they cradled him. Uh, we gave him some medication to make him comfortable and he slipped away. And it was all in the space of just an afternoon really Uh, but it was such a beautiful thing for him just to be there they were Mm. holding him and Mm. he had a he had a smile on his face and uh, he appreciated what was happening and and then once he died we were there we were able to complete some paperwork just to help uh, smooth the pathway towards Mm. uh, the administrative components that Mm. happen after death Mm. Uh, So so many people you know know that a loved one is dying and they get that call, come and say goodbye, and they often do. But there's a lot of people that are so fearful of seeing someone pass oh, away yeah. that it might create, um, you know, some sort of a serious acute anxiety within them oh, to, some to see trauma. someone, some trauma, and that yeah. might trigger yeah. down the track. And yeah. um, you know, so you, and I imagine the pair of you have seen many people die alone. You yeah, know, I can't imagine how how that be for you guys but also too for the person who, who who's passed mm. well oh. I think for those people who know that they're going to die yeah uh, there's advantages and disadvantages yeah uh, there really are and the uh, the big advantage is that you can finish up your affairs say what you you have an opportunity to talk to yeah. the people you want to talk to yeah. to pass on information to pass on wisdom yeah. Yeah. Uh, to pass on uh, knowledge um, um, you know oh, by the way my password is da 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 you know that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, and but of course then you have the, the pre-knowledge that this is going to occur and you have to yeah. come to a to, you would hope that you'll need to find some sort of acceptance and understanding that this was mm-hmm. going to happen to you mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't always happen for a lot of people it's very sudden um, there's no pre-knowledge um, mm. and uh, and that is I'd say the bulk of, of what we do is, mm. is people who suddenly pass away mm. um, yeah. which is you know means that they can no longer they can't say I love you mm. yeah to yeah. their loved ones yeah. Um, yeah or you know don't worry about that debt Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No worries, I've, I, or I've forgiven you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know that sort of thing. So, look with palliative care, what there is an opportunity if somebody has actually um, got a, a terminal illness, and um, you know palliative care um, is provided, and they want to die at home, and, that, um, and the family's up up for something of that. Sometimes families can really struggle with it, but. Um, by and large, what it is an opportunity for is, is a volunteer to to sit with the person uh, ostensibly to give the carer a bit of a break. They can go out and you know sort of engage with the world or whatever. But, but <laughs> often there's a a, a a relationship that develops between the um, 
volunteer, palliative care volunteer, right. and the person who's uh, um, dying. And once a connection has been established and there's a sense of safety between the two of them, mm. sometimes the conversation o- uh, often goes into the meaning of life, um, but also an exploration of the journey that they've been on. And there's a kind of a, it's not counselling, but it, it, it is a shared um, opportunity for the person who was dying to make um, to come to terms with the truth of their journey on this earth, um, and to be also able to distill some of their knowledge um, in a way that um, can be passed on, and some palliative services um, pay attention by um, using you know a, a, a what do you call it a, a device to record a talk. Um, and then they print up the person's story that's shared with his extended family upon his death. Mm. And it's a legacy, if you like, of, of a journey. It's a kind of a distillation of their reflection mm. their, um, and, the, and, and what it is that they want to pass on as an ancestor now in, in their, when they're dead, but in their alive moment to actually pass on something that they would believe is valuable mm. for, their, for who they leave behind. And um, you know, I just think that um, treasure of uh, a life well lived, mm. um, being able to be um, gathered, um, is a gift to us and is a gift to the person who's dying. Mm. A lot of people say to me, I don't want a valedictory on my death, but I'd love to have a gathering of people who love me mm. um, and to be able to talk deeply um, and to um, have a conversation that might last over one or two days in which um, you know that knowledge is a- actually distilled and brought out and um, entrusted onto the living because I'm moving on. I think what a powerful gathering of data um, that's so important. Um, the other um, thing I'm interested in is um, older people wishing to think about eldering, which, which really is to actually say, I'm going to take seriously my work of reflecting on who I am and what I like, the legacy I'd like to leave behind. Um, it's not necessarily a monetary legacy that might be part of it, but essentially it is a distillation of understanding at the deepest level possible mm. that is available to that person to pass on um, lessons of life, lessons yeah. of living. Yeah? yeah. How do they pass? How would they mm. pass that on through through recording through? Uh, transcription of conversations or through... Look, look I've, I've, at this stage I've got no idea, but transcripts are one way of doing that. Another way is to ensure that um, um, old people who have something to offer because they've done their eldering work, they've gone deeper into existence. Right. Yeah. They need to be at every council meeting. They need to be there uh, um, um, called upon um, at different times in a debate what are you feeling? As you, you know, what's your intuition feeling yeah. arising as we're caught up in this? Sometimes the um, the intuitive response that is not cluttered by strategy uh, comes up with a deeper truth. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's one. That's one way. Uh, um, I think podcasts coming from older people. I, I love that idea of seeing a group of men, uh, three or four men or five men, sitting around on a park bench and they're laughing because they're telling stories. And I want to sit by them and listen to the wisdom implicit in their digestion 
Um, same with, 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 with women who... Uh, um, I've sat with Māori women who were in their 80s and marvelled at their uh, wisdom, and I, and I didn't say anything, I just listened. Just um, and, um, you know, got so much. Even though they were talking in Māori, um, and I had limited understanding of what they were saying, I knew that I was in a deeply reflective space with these women who were telling um, me something that... Um, I didn't need to know necessarily what it actually meant, but just to be in the presence of dignity and mm. uh, deep understanding. Mm. And, I, and um, they, they shape you, you know what I mean? I, mm. as, a, as a 40-year-old, I had no idea. But, yeah, right. um, but in my fif- 50s and 60s, the depthing of insight and understanding, yeah. something does happen to you. And if, you, and if somebody wakes you up to, this is a precious time, um, uh, sit in it, um, pay attention to it, um, suddenly your world changes. Yeah. One of my thoughts there is that uh, I think one of the great tragedies of dementia, uh, one of the terrible diseases of ageing, is that we lose the capacity, not only do people lose their personality and who they are, but they lose those personal stories Absolutely. and their opportunity to impart the wisdoms yes. uh, that they have acquired yep. over a lifetime. Yep. Yes. Uh, yep. And the families uh, of those patients, uh, of those people, are, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a great sense of loss um, that we've lost that person Absolutely. and who they are and all their experiences. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if you get an opportunity to, if you have wisdom, and mm. to impart those wisdoms in some way and record them, uh, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for that, I think. Yeah. Yes, um, no, um, absolutely. I'd love, because I think there, there is a, um, um, the truth of getting older is that you've been around long enough to, um, to actually have some working knowledge of what works and what doesn't work. Mm. Um, you don't even have to have done too much in the way of reflective practice. Mm. Um, but we often sort of kind of assume in a Western uh, context that an old person is, is the, the used by date is obvious. You know, they've got nothing to offer. Mm-hmm. But I think that's such a narrow <laughs> uh, view or a celebration of youth. Um, the, the, real re- the real truth is that youth is wasted on youth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the real truth is, you know what I mean? Uh, um, but uh, but to, to have the dignity of living an, um, a good number of years, um, you know, that we, that we pay attention to that, um, I think is so, so important. There's so many stories that I think are lost. Um, and when, and I, in this world, what's so interesting um, is this idea of... Um, who is capturing the telling of the stories? And inevitably, it is conglomerates from overseas mm. um, that are carving out the deeper narrative, and we've lost our individual story. And to an extent, we will become, uh, if we don't watch this, um, the, the very things we're frightened of, um, the, uh, the people who shuffle around, um, what do they call them? Um, uh, not autonomous, but uh, automatons. Automatons. Um, uh, but the people who, who want to suck our blood, they've got, they've got nothing there for themselves. The vampires. Vampires, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, we'll become like that because we have no individual memory or understanding of, the, of our becoming, mm-hmm. the, 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 the journey that we're on. So I think um, looking after individual story, um, even in couple work, um, the guys, there's a very interesting movie called Gap, um, Gap Hope 
or is the hope gap? Hope gap, sorry. And it's a it's an expiration of a marriage that's falling apart, um, and it's um, very well acted, and the script um, is a very empowering, yeah. and it does look at two individual stories and the son um, that came out of that marriage and his story um, at the ending of a marriage and it treats it very sensitively but it's such a power it's not a one dimensional story it's the guy played by Bill Nye um, and Anne Benning who plays the the mum uh, I think it was was on SBS recently very recently it's really worth a watch it's it's a gem of a movie exploring context and multiple voices no, terrific. We're, it, this is great discussion. I've, to be honest, I've just been sitting back listening mainly today. It's, I've been uh, sucking it all up like a sponge. Mm. Um, but we're coming to the back of the show. I, I just uh, want to say a quick thanks before I forget to uh, all manufacturing personnel, recruitment and labour hire in the manufacturing industry. Um, if you have something you want to have made or need something made or just searching for a job in the manufacturing industry, give us a call on 0404 or give uh, Director Craig Beachy a call on 0416 700 870. Christmas coming up, Christian. And, yep. uh, thank you for your half a dozen more shows so far this year. Sure. It's, uh, it, they've been very powerful. Um, yeah, very informative, um, and yeah, yeah, you're a wonderful man, mate. I, you know, I really appreciate oh. you coming on and well, that's very giving kind us your of you. time uh, and your love. It's man. a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> just one bloke out of three doing his yeah, best. Just a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, yeah, thanks, man. And um, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, kudos to you, brother. Well, I'll have some new stories. Uh, I, I guess if I if I'm invited back. Tell yeah, some, absolutely. Tell you some funny ones. Hey, well, oh, yeah. Well, um, depends on how much ones. he sort of slips under the sort of. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely. But, but, but Christmas, what's going on at your place? Your, yeah, I'll, uh, working through Christmas. Uh, I've actually got a few days off for Christmas, which is lovely. So I'll, I'm going to head down to Victoria, catch up with Mark oh, Arthur, okay. who's yeah, a yeah. great storyteller yeah. himself. Yeah, how uh, is he, how's the old man going? He's, uh, look, he's at the later end of his life. Yeah, um, yeah he's. Sure. Um, Becoming frail, but he's still very sharp of mind. Mm, making, yeah, still making sculpture, oh, wow. telling cultural stories, yes. stories of Viking tales and personal histories wow. of my grandfather who yeah. sailed on the tall ships out of Denmark, wow. and wow. Uh, you know his personal experiences, um, you know, out in the bush, trout fishing, and <sighs> being a sort of a uh, he's quite the philosopher, my wow, old man. Yeah, he's a uh, so who's capturing the story? Oh, he's um he's had some books written about him, oh. um, about his work and his sculpture and his art practice. Um, Serious play by Rob ha- uh, Haywood is a fantastic oh. read, and uh, it's a it's a personal history of my family as well. There's some funny stuff yeah. uh, that's come into that, but uh, his sculpture and his experiences and yeah. his time uh, yeah. on the face of the world. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, so he's uh, yeah he's certainly been well documented. Yeah, my dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and oh, of yeah. course he has all his artwork, yeah. uh, which is the legacy that will be left behind. What uh, a fantastic awesome, man! Huh? That, wow. You know, and each of those works tells yeah. a, tells an absolute mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Well, much mm-hmm. mate, much love to you, to you your mm-hmm. father, your two boys, and, and yeah. to April. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and have a wonderful Christmas. And boats, what about you, mate? What's what you and Annette uh, up to for? Well, we had this crazy idea that we're going to go um, and uh, load up the CX-5 
in the Mazda CX-5 and uh, rock, rock, rock across to Nullarbor to Western Australia. Oh, yeah, it's good. It does sound good, but then, uh, and it's been talking uh, to people, and I say, very hot time of the year, lovey. Uh, yeah, and... Do you, do you think you want to, want, want to do it in March, April, maybe? And um, so I've got no idea what we're going to do. Yeah, um, Adelaide particularly is tough. It's brutal across that night, but it's spectacular. I mean, it is spectacular, yeah, but we're going to take two aged dogs and be awful yeah, if one of them expired because they've got too damn hot or the car yeah, broke down or, yeah, you know, some, something blah, blah, blah. So... You could, um, always, you could leave, always leave man and bench with Claire, uh, with with us we could you know with Munster he'd be a great help you know if you need a dog sitter we'd be happy to help okay you. Oh, you know, uh, give us a uh, thought we'll see um, how we go let me think about that um, wow. wow but down there's uh, I think it's about three three dollars thirty a litre of fuel at the moment is it Ooh. oh yeah yeah. Oh, in South Australia. Oh, yeah, at the Nullarbor. It's at mm. least. Oh, Nullarbor. At oh, least okay. that. At mm. least, yeah. Maybe near the four dollars. Mm. Yeah. Uh, with it being two twenty here, it's going to be at least a dollar more. Yeah. A litre. So is that? You might want to just put up a bed sheet and sail across yeah, with the prevailing winds. That's there cheaper. You, there you go. Yeah. There you go. That's not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> go old school. Yeah. Yeah, that's really I'm, I'm going down to see my. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going down to see my father. I've got my brother. Uh, coming, I'll, I'll miss my mum this year, but um, yeah, it'll be nice. I've got my kids for the first time, both of them together at Christmas, wow. so it's going to be pretty special, mm. which is what Christmas is like. But of course, with families, things can be said and mm. happen, so mm. be a little bit self aware of what you say before you say it. Yeah. Look, for I'll some be, reason, we lose our filters when yeah. families are around. I'll be on speakerphone, so if there's anybody rising, yeah. rising prosody, I'll be naming it. No, 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 you, buddy. You'll be on speakerphone going, just give him one. <laughs> <laughs> he loves a blue, buddy. He does. He just loves it. What did your brother say? Oh, that's a right-hander for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks, everyone, uh, for tuning in to uh, the Men's Mental Health Show. We'll be back again uh, next week, I think we've only got two, two, two. Take care and be kind to each other. Yeah, be Bye. kind. That's be a kind. good one. See ya.